Hello, I'm Fifi Peters. I want to welcome you to the Journey to One Billion podcast series. We're speaking to MasterCard experts and business leaders across the Middle East and Africa and around the world who are working together to build a more inclusive and sustainable digital economy that works for everyone, everywhere. MasterCard has a commitment to financially include 1 billion people into the digital economy by 2025. This is the journey to 1 billion. In this podcast, we examine the power of the digital economy in the Middle East and Africa and how financial inclusion is driving economic growth across the region. To discuss this, I am joined by Raghu Malhotra, MasterCard's co-president of International Markets. Raghu is leading the company's growth strategies across 200 countries. Raghu is passionate about financial inclusion and leveraging key technologies to create an equitable future for all. Welcome to the podcast, Raghu. Thanks very much, Fifi. Thanks very much for having me. The region that you oversee for MasterCard is incredibly diverse and a major focus of MasterCard's financial inclusion initiatives. Can you tell us about the Middle East and Africa and the challenges and opportunities facing the people and businesses in the region as you seek to include 1 billion people into the digital economy by 2025? Sure, Fifi. I think let me just start by uh, talking about the diversity of the region itself. Uh, the world's richest country and the world's poorest country per capita income are in the same geography, right? It's in Middle East Africa. So that gives you a sense of the diversity that we're talking about. In many ways, that's reflective of where the world is going. You, you've got this disparity of wealth that's coming through and the, that divide is becoming bigger and bigger. So Middle East Africa, I think, reflects a global reality as well. Now, how do you actually overcome that? And, and to your point, saying, hey, it's diverse, but it, it comes with a set of opportunities and a set of challenges. And let me kind of explain that to you from two or three angles. So the first is, if you're looking at, uh, at this from a growth angle, right? I think Middle Eastern Africa and the continent of Africa provides tremendous growth opportunities, not just for our industry, but for every industry around the world. It is uh, home to one-fifth the world's population. And largely, they are excluded. And many of these economies across 69 markets are, are cash-led. And because they are cash-led, what you have is a bunch of people who are actually excluded from the formal economy. When you're excluded from the formal economy, you don't get access. You don't ac get access to services. You don't get access to funds. And actually, it's not just financial access. You, by and large, are excluded from access across a multitude of capabilities that you, you require uh, to have, including education. So yes, challenging, uh, but I also think it's opportunity because I think the continent will provide growth to uh, the world across multiple industries. And, and that's the same thing holds true for us at MasterCard as well. So just from a consumer angle now, right? You have uh, the bulk of employment in Middle East Africa is generated by SMEs. Okay, so one is on one side, you've got a very heavy cash dependent economy. And, you know, it probably costs most economies between 50 basis points to 300 basis points 
to just maintain that cash in those economies. Now, in light of the pandemic that we're having, where you're looking for growth, if you can actually reduce that burden on economies, that is money that you can actually use to invest back in the economy. So at the very top level. The second one is, like I said, from the consumer side. If you're excluded, how do you actually drive any employment, especially if you're in the SME sector, right? Now, the SME sector is, it requires working capital. So I think that's the second area of opportunity. A lot of them think of that as, as a problem, but it's also an opportunity. Should you digitize these flows of SMEs and you get them in there into the formal economy, you start to actually create new sets of opportunity, not just for businesses, but also for the people who they actually end up employing. And the last angle is just purely from a consumer and a people angle, right? You have to be in the formal economy to exist, including digital IDs. Right. And that's when you actually start to spur more growth for people, whether it's from an education perspective, job opportunities, getting access to funds, uh, getting access to new capabilities, vocation training, etc. So th that's really what the region looks like across 69 markets. Very diverse, a ton of opportunities, a few challenges like I've explained. But by and large, I feel uh, the world will be in a better place. And I think I see light at the end of the tunnel rather than just look at this as a ton of challenges only. So you're looking at it with the bright outlook in a view. But just to your point on digitization, why is a digital economy so vital to financial inclusion and economic growth? So Fifi, the first one really is about what I talked about, saying the world is moving to what I call a converged digital environment. Our consumers want that. Businesses want that. Governments want that, right? So that's the macro trend towards what we're going towards, right? Customers are looking for convenience. They want simple, safe solutions, right? And they don't want uh, to deal with different sets of environments that work differently. So they want a converged digital environment. So that's one reason why digital economies are important itself. That's one reason why governments themselves realize that, and they actually also realize that's probably a more efficient way of building economies. So let me bring it to light uh, for you. I think it's the evolution of cash, if you think about it. We started with the barter system. We actually started to do bullion trade. Then you actually really created uh, cash at that point of time. So it actually evolved. Well, you all had coins in between as well, which were actually semi-precious metals in any case, right? So what we didn't have is so money in the world has actually evolved over a period of time. We are at the cusp of evolution of money again. And that's why I'm not using the word cash because cash was a manifestation of money. Today, in a converged digital environment, people realize that they can move to a more efficient form of money and therefore you can replace cash. So that's important. So the one is a pure economic reason. The second is the infrastructure today, the tech today allows you to move to a more digital form. And that then benefits the end consumer as well because and that's when they actually get formally included. That's why it's so important to first understand the macro trend behind it then saying, hey, it's not just a trend. We today have the technology to be able to make that leap of faith. 
And that's why we shouldn't be surprised at the amount of legislation, policy making that's coming out from government side who are saying, hey, we want to actually include more digital environments, more digital players in it, because they also realize that they will get more of its citizens included in the formal economy, which by and large will spur demand and actually get the economy to go to the next level. And the last, let's not underestimate the social benefits uh, of actually including people in the formal economy, like I said. It actually does give you better access. Uh, so it's not just about inclusion. It's also about getting better access to our citizens, right? Uh, and that closes in the long run, I feel, the divide between the rich and the poor and the wealth disparity that's taking place as well. It's a more equitable way of how the world can move forward. To the point about the challenges and the opportunities, they are truly uh, vast. And clearly the team at MasterCard is making progress. In 2020, you reached your initial goal of including 500 million people into the digital economy. And then during the pandemic, you doubled down on that commitment, pledging to reach 500 million more, which will mean 1 billion people in total by 2025. How is MasterCard approaching this incredible task in the Middle East and Africa? So, uh, Fifi, we are approaching this from uh, two or three different angles. The first angle is infrastructure, right? So I did talk about a converged digital environment being created. To do that, what you need is a multi-rail strategy, which is it doesn't sit on a single rail. You actually ensure that a company like ours has multiple rails that all converge together. Back to the point of saying, People need, consumers need simple, safe solutions. So, so the first part of our strategy is really about ensuring that we have a multi-rail strategy that allows for that convergence to take place. What do I mean by that? We have a payments rail, as everybody knows as far as MasterCard, which is what a lot of people call as the card rail. But we also run an account-to-account -account rail, which is allowing people to actually do transfers from one account to another account, whether it's a person-to-person -person or a business-to-business. -business. So that's the second layer of that multi-rail strategy. The third layer of that uh, multi-rail strategy is different types of platforms. As an example, payment gateways, ensuring that people can actually seamlessly transact online in a simple, safe, secure way. And and the last one is really actually ensuring that you also bridge in the gap between various industries. As an example, we play an important role in creating a mobile payment gateway, which allows the FI business customers to interact with the mobile money business, which sits on the MNO rails, right? Because you need to bridge all of these industries and rails. So, so that's part number one of how we are looking to address this. The second one is about segments. So what we've done is we've actually included more segments that we deal with. A very important segment that we deal with is governments on three lenses. One is at a policy level, ensuring that we have the right policies in place that allows for this, this inclusion to take place and the right environment is created for it. Right? So we, we actually deal a lot with fintechs. We deal a lot with other processors who are enablers into this ecosystem. Right? Then we deal with a bunch of new players like retailers, MNOs, right? and we actually bring them back in. So we talk a lot about the public-private partnership. I think this is a really good example of how actually we're dealing across different stakeholder groups, 
different segments, but we are bringing it all together by connecting the dots with ensuring that we have the right policy framework, then ensuring you have the right infrastructure, then ensuring that you have the right connections. And lastly, but not the least, is you're actually ensuring each of these segments who have their own needs. A retailer has a very different need than an airline, as an example, or a government, right? And ensuring that each of their constituents of their value chain they have a role where we can actually help address some of the needs of that, whether it's an SME or an end consumer in there. So that's broadly how we're approaching uh, getting this whole ecosystem going. It's a collaborative approach. It's not just all about ourselves. It's really about ensuring that we actually play the right role as part of how the world moves forward. And Raghu, technology is indeed offering a significant boost to your efforts. And what does financial inclusion look like in action? Can you share examples of the initiatives or solutions you have rolled out in the Middle East and Africa? Sure. Some of the initiatives is really about enhancing and bringing new capability that we didn't have. And let me give you a couple of examples. Right? So I talked about multi-rail, which was much more platform-driven. But then is the second thing I talked about saying, hey, we need to play a part in creating new ecosystems. So let me give you a couple of examples from some of those ecosystems that are actually tied back to both financial inclusion, but also about some of the things I touched upon, making the world a better place, making sure more equitable growth takes place. So the first thing that we did in Middle East Africa is created a network called the MasterCard Farmers Network. Right? This was born in Africa, in Kenya. Right? And we exported it to the rest of the world, including parts of Asia as well as Latin America. What does this do? So if you think about, very simply put, how does the buying take place from a farmer? There are a bunch of people who have access to the farmer. They actually go to the farmer. And based on the access that they have, you they pay them a particular price. And the whole chain uh, starts from there. What we've done is created a platform which allows farmers to digitize how they sell. I have now given the farmer access to more buyers than they were ever used to. Therefore, it probably gives them a better price point. But even more importantly, we've now included them into the formal economy because we've digitized how that process of buying and selling takes place. And if I take it to the next step, because it's now digitized and it's formal and transparent, the farmer is now going to have better access to working capital, seeds, fertilizers, and so on and so forth. Right? That's one such example of how new ecosystems are being created and what we're doing. Another one is in the area of education. So something we actually did in Uganda. right? And a lot of people say, what would MasterCard do with education? And what we did is, it's a, it's, it's a concept of almost like crowdfunding. So if you think about what's actually happening in many of these emerging markets, People want to get educated because they want to go up. The reality is they might not have the means to pay for that education, right? So what we did is we partnered with UNICEF and the Ugandan government and created a platform which is like a crowdfunding platform. It's called Coupa. Effectively, if you think of how school systems work, you need to pay the fees for a month, two months, six months, or a quarter, depending on where you are. Many of the parents who want to send their kids are daily wage earners. And they actually struggle to be able to pay a week or even a month's fee for the schools. So what this system does is it allows other people, which is friends, family, and that's actually what they do. 
in reality, they will borrow from friends and family to send somebody into school. So this has digitized that whole ecosystem where people can actually just pay for somebody. And now what we've done is what would have cost a month or six months worth of fees is now down to actually seven days, 10 days of fees, right? So it reduces the burden, but actually makes it more inclusive and easier for kids to get to school, crowdfunding concept. And I've kind of simplified this. It's a little more complex, but it also allows because the kids are actually going to school. We now know who's going to school. So it actually gives you better tracking. What are the teachers doing? The teachers are using the same system. So you know how the quality of education is going as well, right? So that's the second type of example. And the third one is what we are doing with the supply chain. So again, we actually tied up with Unilever in Africa. And actually what we started to do was digitize some of the supply chain, which is through the distributors, and towards the end SME, which is the retailer, who also was struggling to either get access to working capital, it was one part, and therefore it limited what they could buy or actually then sell to our end consumer. And again, because we digitized the whole flow, what's actually happening is they get better credit terms. Because they get better terms, they stock more, and they actually expand uh, their sales. And also on the same SME side, we're also using like our gateway. We have programs like Simplify that allow our SME to get online within 10 minutes. So we're connecting them to a global world. And why that's very important is if we can ensure that the catchment area or the reach of an SME goes beyond what they can currently reach because we took them online and that their marketplace increases, we actually help them do that. So these are some of the examples and programs that we run right here in Middle East Africa, which are quite successful, but also across the world. The good news is all the programs I talked about, they were invented right here in these markets, tailored to these markets, and exported to the rest of the world. The applications to the various sectors that you have described are enlightening. But how do you decide where to focus your efforts to reach the one billion? What is your approach? So two approaches. One I did talk about saying large part of this population is financially excluded from the formal economy. So one of the things we actually looked at saying, okay, what are sectors that we can make a big difference in? I want to just give you some some stats for both Africa and then I'll give you some stats for the Middle East as well. 77% of all jobs in Africa are created in the SME sector. So when we start to say, where were we going to make a difference? Actually, we looked at the SME sector saying, if you can actually help the SME sector, it actually helps to generate more jobs. Actually, we put all of the people who were employed there back in the formal sector and the formal economies. It's, it's almost like a two-phase strategy. One is include the SME sector. Second is include the people itself who are actually getting it. So that's really a, one play that we have. And, you know, we talk about the journey to a billion. We also took another commitment, which is we will include 50 million new SMEs into the formal economy and actually empower them, right? So we've actually taken upon ourselves to actually have a formal target around this so that we, we, we move forward. That's one. The second is, even within that, there are some subsectors that we've actually identified, which is women entrepreneurs. And a lot of people are saying, why specifically women entrepreneurs within that? Some of the stats will astound people. You know, all studies show that if we have a woman entrepreneur, their saving rate goes up. When the saving go rate goes up, 90% of the income they have, they actually take it back into their own family for betterment of their family. 
So it's not just helping the women entrepreneur. Actually, the women entrepreneur is actually helping society go up to the next level because their saving rates are higher and where they deploy their income is different to men. It's not to say men don't do it, but they just don't do it at the same pace and the same rate. Right? If I remember right, that same 90% that I talked about for women, the comparison for the men is at 40%. So there's a very large differential there. Therefore, you need to be over-indexed and actually helping women entrepreneurs. So it's SME. It's actually inclusion for generating more employment. It is getting the digitization of supply chain. But within that, a special focus on the women entrepreneur uh, as, as well. So the other one is really about creating inclusive ecosystems. So some of the work which we do with governments, the examples are definitely Egypt. We've got work in Saudi Arabia. We're doing work in UAE. We're actually talking to a few governments where we signed some MOUs in Africa, where we are actually talking about taking and deploying MasterCard technology and infrastructure and ensuring that they, as they embark on their digital journey, at an ecosystem level, at a country level, that our technology is what we are actually giving to them that they can actually ensure that the digitization efforts uh, take place differently. And these, thing, these things include about digitizing municipalities, as an example. It includes subsidy management. It includes ensuring that the right person is actually getting the subsidy versus it being done at a very broad basis. It includes social programs like pensions and ensuring it's, it's distributed in a more efficient manner as well. So these were some of the broader sort of areas we're working on, but also a little bit about sustainability as well. And I'm not saying it because it's a buzzword. It's something which we are really committed to as a firm. You know, we've actually said that. You've probably heard our chairman say this. We want to do well by doing good. Uh, we want to be relevant to the world and taking the world to a better place. And there, we've actually made some uh, commitments to, uh, as well. As part of a greater coalition, we, we promised that we'll plant 100 million trees. Uh, right here in Middle East Africa, uh, one of our first programs is actually in Africa, in Kenya, where we pledged to plant a million trees. So even with the same sort of economics, it's the formality of it, but actually we're also ensuring that these things actually go back to the places we do business in and makes a difference in there. So sustainability for us is the other uh, aspect of how inclusion takes place. It is so interesting uh, to see how all the efforts are interlinked, apart from the commitment, the pledges, the technology, the partnerships. What contributes to the success of your efforts? What drives MasterCard on this mission to champion inclusion? If you have to say it's the people, you know, I tell everybody, great businesses are not just built on great strategies and process. In the end, you've got to do a little bit with your heart. The heart actually is really where people come in. So I have to say we have an overall culture in MasterCard of what we call decency. But we, like I said, we want to do well, but doing good. But that cannot just be a corporate strategy. I actually genuinely believe that our people are open, they're transparent, and they have a genuine desire to make a difference. Right? They ensure that all of the things I talked about, they are actually made into real things, not just because the corporate is doing so. I think I can see this personal commitment that comes in. I think that's a really, really important part of how we've actually first done the 500 million, and that gives us the courage to take on a target of another 500 million, as an example, or 50 million SMEs. 
And the last, but equally important, is just about inclusive leadership. And I think that's a really important part. I think I can easily say I think we are probably one of the most diverse companies I've ever worked for, and I've worked for quite a few. And the reason why we actually end up doing so much more is because I think we have a concept of inclusive leadership. We have a diversity of thinking, right? It's not just about diversity of class, color, creed. It's a, there is a diversity of thinking, and that drives inclusive leadership. Whether it's part of just MasterCard inclusive leadership, or when we work with coalitions, how we actually partner with all of our coalition partners or governments or other sectors. I think that's the second ingredient of what's got us here. And hopefully these two ingredients is what takes us into the future as well. Uh, Raghu, uh, thanks so much for uh, your time and sharing all your insights and joining the podcast. Fifi, thanks so much for having me. It's been a real pleasure. And uh, thank you for allowing me to actually express everything and what we do as well. Join me for the next episode in the Journey to One Billion, where we discuss unlocking the potential of the female economy and empowering women entrepreneurs with Anne Cairns, MasterCard's Executive Vice Chair, and Sarah Beidou, Founder and Creative Director of Lebanese fashion house and social enterprise, Sarah's Bag. Hear how MasterCard is going to include 50 million SMEs and 25 million women entrepreneurs into the digital economy as we continue the journey to 1 billion. To listen to more, you can find episodes on www.miacontentexchange.com or download or subscribe to the podcast through your favorite platform. And if you've enjoyed the podcast, why not leave us a review? I'm Fifi Peters. Thank you for joining the journey to one billion.